welcome to episode six. Man, these are going fast. We just went through one through five, and I told you guys we were doing the first five because they were going to be foundational to where we were headed with everything. But starting today, episode six, we are beginning to invite guests in, and today is one of my closest friends in the world, and uh, we have adventured together. I mean, just some really great stories you're going to be hearing today. So before we kind of get into that, let me give you a little bit of my, my buddy's background. His name is Roger Medley. And, uh, you know, I asked him, I said, hey, would you send me a bio? And I just love the way he started it. He just says, hey, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a grandfather. And then you're going to hear more about Roger's personality. His next thing, he says, I'm a bad joke teller, I'm an author. Uh, he's a former pastor, he's a veteran, he's a patriot. Uh, he's a former COO of a tech R&D company and the, uh, the owner of um, Backcountry Bowhunting and the president of High Country Ministries. So, oh, and a, and a home builder currently. And I want you to hear something. He is actually sitting outside of his new house he's building right now in the mountains in Colorado. And as he got on the line with us today, he's literally kind of dodging three and three quarter inch hail that's about to hit there. So if you start hearing kind of like things going off, it's not a war zone, but it's going to feel like one. But uh, hey, Roger, say hey to everybody. Hey, hello, everybody. Yeah, if you would, pray for us. We've got, uh, with the brand new house, we've got metal roof, metal siding. And uh, my wife and daughter just left, and she's like, can you can you try to make sure that we don't get any hail here? We'd like to move into the house before we have to replace the roof. So, uh, I mean, you guys have been building the house now for a, a, almost, what is it, a little over a year and a half? Uh, yeah, about a year and a half. We've been living on our property for just over five years in our fifth wheel, and uh, – We've been working real hard on the on the house for about a little over a year and a half. And didn't you have like a hailstorm before you moved out there to start building the house, the house you lived in? Didn't you guys get nailed with a really nasty hailstorm? We did. We lived uh, at the time on the east side of Colorado Springs, and there was a, a hailstorm that came through that was east to west. It was only about a mile wide, but uh, north to south, it was about five miles uh, long and uh, it totaled the RV we had. It just destro- absolutely destroyed the roof on our house, broke 13 windows. I mean, we had hail hitting the south, going through windows on the south side of the house, sliding across the floor, hitting the north side of the wall inside the house. Man, and so, you had two Jeeps too, didn't you? Yep, we still got them. Uh, my wife's orange Jeep looks like an orange uh, because <laughs> we never got the uh, we never got the hood fixed, and my red Rubicon looks like a strawberry because of the all the hail dents on it. Oh, what a pain! Well, man, stay safe as we're doing this, and if you need to, you know, cut things off and go short, we'll we'll go down that path. But hey, before we get started today and into the adventure, and like we always go, we go from the wilds and back to the home front. We've got a couple of questions, and Eric, you've got those from today. Someone emailed them into podcasts um, at Unleashed Men. Uh, you got one for us? Uh, yeah, I've got two. Okay. And, and an update. Okay. Okay. Uh, we talked about last week the wolverine with the pocket knife versus a chimpanzee with a back scratcher. Oh, yeah, right. We want to know how big is a wolverine. Uh, Wolverines can weigh between 20 and 66 pounds, 14 to 17 inches uh, at shoulder height, 36 inches in length. Yeah, they're nasty. That's a 
66 pound monster there. Yeah, and they're huge claws. Yeah, they're they're incredible. Yeah. What do we got questions? Let's get into it. Okay, question one comes from Caleb. Uh, how do we keep our passion from becoming a distraction from God? Caleb says uh, all he ever wanted to do was be a whitetail hunter. Uh, things that things that started to come together for him, mounts were building, and he was starting to feel like maybe he was idolizing the thoughts of these whitetails. It was consuming him more and more. He wants to know how do we keep the thing we love most on this earth in check? You know, here's what I always say when I'm when I'm thinking about that is I want you to look at the thing that you do that you that you love doing. And now I have to be real careful how I answer this. If it were taken away tomorrow, like COVID, when I was speaking, you know, I was had all these speaking events when COVID came in and for 18 months I lost all of those because of the social distancing. I began to have unhealthy emotions because of that, because I had made it into an idol. So I think that's really uh, one thing to look at is if that were taken away from you tomorrow, maybe God called you to do something different, whatever it would look like. If it caused you to have unhealthy emotions, you know that that's become an idol in your life. But other, uh, you know, otherwise I was going to say, you know, the thing that you're most passionate about is what's going to draw others to what you have to say. So, you know, it's, it's a two-edged sword when you look at that. It can be an idol or it can be absolutely the, the passionate thing that's going to drive you. But look at the emotions that it's creating um, if that were taken away. So, Yeah. I think you nailed it. Okay. Question two. Now, this can be for both of you guys. All right. This is from Kyle in Oklahoma. The first Olympics were held in 1776. I'm sorry, 776 B.C., Having said that, what sport should Jesus have played, and do you think he would have meddled? <laughs> you know, I've been to Olympia okay. in, in, um, in Greece, which is the site of the very first Olympics in 776 B.C. You know, Paul talked about, you know, he's, there's still like these um, like stone carved things in the stone for your toes to fit in where the runners would put their feet in there to get ready to take off. Uh, man, it's an amazing. And then I think it was... Was it 1896, I think, was the site of the first Olympic Games, which was actually in Athens. Um, I forget how many hours, maybe five hours drive. What would Jesus have meddled? What would he have played and would he have meddled? Was that the? Yeah. Okay. Roger, you want to grab this? He was around, you know. Well, since I'm a bow hunter, uh, I want to say he would be in archery. And I've got absolutely no no Greek or Hebrew um, justification for that. Um, other than, other than, you know, as, as I'm talking and thinking here, sin is an archery term, right? It means to miss the mark. Yeah. And Jesus would be shooting all X's. Yeah. 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 He would have met at great. I can't beat that. That's an awesome answer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, well, let's get, let's get into where we're, we're headed today. So this story is going to begin in, in a place called Poison. Uh, I always called it Poison Pass. Actually, it might be called Poison Park, but we're going to call it Poison Pass today. Is that okay? I think we'll do that. But this whole episode, yeah, Roger and I always talk about, you know, being dangerous for good. Um, being a dangerous man for Christ, you know, it's, we're dangerous, but not to do bad things, but to do good things, you know, against the enemy to knock out the lies and that he's, he's convincing all of us that we should be, um, you know, just doing these things that will get us more attention, um, 
But the truth is, um, to be a dangerous man for Christ, you, you literally die to self. And when you die to self, you allow others to speak into your life, um, hold you capable. We've even talked about, you know, holding you accountable. You're giving them permission because there's areas in, we, we, like just Roger said, we miss the mark, you know, and we do. You know, Jesus didn't, we do, but we need that brother in our life who can sharpen, irons are, sharpens iron. We need that brother to walk with. And so Roger and I, we first met, Roger, what was it? it was, was it in 2007 at the ATA show in Indianapolis? Uh, I, dude, I've been asleep since then, so I don't know what year it was, but it <laughs> certainly was at the ATA show in Indianapolis. Yeah, we were, there was a, a camouflage company called God's Country, God's Country Camouflage that we were both um, on pro staff with at the time. And we kind of met at the table working the, the archery trade show in Indianapolis. And our friendship, we, we began to discover our passion for archery, the outdoors, and for God. And man, one conversation led to another. And the next thing you know, um, we're staying in, in communication on a regular basis and then planning some adventures. And so today's adventure, you're going to hear the very first time that the two of us really got to, you know, go into the wilderness together, literally going into the wilderness together. Um, and at this place, not too far out of, of Pagosa Springs in, in Colorado, we were, I think we started, what was it, around, was it like around 8,500 feet elevation, Roger? Does that sound about right? Yeah, something like that. Heading down a, into a valley and then heading north up a valley, which actually, you know, ended up uh, going up in elevation. But the the parking area was about 8,500 feet, I think. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I grew up at about 800 feet elevation. So, you know, it was, it's kind of funny because, you know, I, I've trained hard. You know, I don't know if I've ever told you that, but, you know, you know, being that, you know, the both of you guys, there was another guy named Brian who was with us, and you both former military you know, it's that I, I need your respect. You know, we talked about respect before, um, and we will in some future episodes. You know, men don't struggle with respect. They struggle with their need for respect. Because if you're giving me what I think that I deserve, then I'm feeling respected and we're good. But it's funny how when a man isn't getting respect from someone else, all of a sudden it causes anger, right? And we get really upset. So before I ever went on this trip, knowing we were going to Colorado, you know, I was I was hitting, you remember this, Roger, I had pictures, I think I was sending you from hiking the trails with heavy backpacks, getting ready. And when yep. we, when we arrived at the location, I was in, I was in the best shape I've been in a long time. And so we get to this, this parking lot and, you know, we're getting everything set up to go down in the, in the bottoms. We have our, um, uh, what were those, uh, meals we were heating up? What were those called? Mountain house? Uh, yeah, they were mountain house. And Roger had a little, didn't you have like a little one burner stove that you made? I did. Yeah. A little alcohol stove out of a, I think it was, uh, I don't know. Can I say a Bud Light can? <laughs> it wasn't out of a Bud Light can, <laughs> but, uh, I think it was out of a Red Bull can. Yeah. I, I don't think today people would be wanting to use that can for whatever reason, but they might use a Coke can or something. But so he has this little one burner stove. You know, we get the tailgate down. We, we kind of get a little meal fixed, you know, to get ready to have some carbs. Because when you're going to be putting out energy, you got to be ready. You got to stay hydrated and you got to have carbs in your system. So we get everything loaded up. And Roger, would you say that I was the lightest packer of the bunch? Um, I'm not supposed to lie, right? <laughs> so uh, I would say that you had the sink 
the dishwasher, the oven, the washer, the dryer, uh, pretty much everything. Yeah, you I think- were, frankly, if I could say this, you were the epitome of lay off every sin and weighty thing. You had every weighty thing with you. I've got a picture of me, and I've got this, you know, I've got a Denali backpack. It's massive. It's one you use to climb, you know, mountains, Everest, Denali, those things. It's made by Gregory. And it's huge. I forget how many cubic inches, 8,400 or some crazy thing. But I had everything that I could possibly stuff in that. And then I had, you know, one of the the, the uh, waterproof bags on the top of it with a zipper on it. So in case, you know, got in the water and it was crammed full. I had things tied to the bottom of the backpack all the way down to the back of the back of my knees. So, you know, here's Roger going in with like a day pack and we're going to be back in there for days. And I'm, I mean, I've got enough for three or four guys. And so they were kind of teasing me about it, but I'm thinking, Hey, come on. And what, you know, I'm, I think I'm in shape here and boy, did it come back and bite me. But so we start down this, these switchbacks because you know, these, these hills are really steep. And if you don't know what a switchback is, they're kind of cut like in, you know, cross back and forth, like a Z pattern almost to help you get down the hill when it gets too steep. And so it, it kind of adds to the length of the journey. So when you look at something that might be a mile, but when, by the time you have switchbacks going back and forth, you might have a mile and a quarter, mile and a half or whatever. But as we're going down, Roger, do you remember that guy on the horseback with his dog? I do. I do. You know, one, one thing to, to mention here, too, is uh, when it comes to hunting out west here, we were in a, in, a, um, in a wilderness area, which is different than, uh, you know, a state forest area kind of thing. There is no wheeled traffic allowed in these wilderness areas here in Colorado. So it's only foot traffic, whether it's two feet or four feet. Well, and, and so that's one thing that's really and this is how that is important because what that cowboy with the dog, his dog started coming after us and barking and he called his dog back and apologized. And I remember him saying, we don't see much foot traffic around here, guys. Kind of like a Sam Elliott kind of a voice. And we're kind of like, man, I knew we were going deep. I mean, there's, there's nothing down here. And I think somebody had lost a muzzleloader and he was going back to find it or something. But so we get all the way down to the bottom and when you get down to the bottom, it kind of opens up to a nice meadow on the left, and you cut back in the woods on the right. And as we're going back, we cross one little stream, I think might have been about six feet wide, and then we kept going maybe another, I don't know, quarter of a mile or something, and we, we come across another stream. It was maybe a little bit wider, but it was close enough. It was probably 15 feet wide, but it was a good place to be able to get water to filter it. So we said, hey, let's let's set up a spike camp. You know, in a spike camp, if, you, if you've been out there before or hunted, you know, it's just a small little camp you're, you're setting up. You know, you're going to be going in and out of there because you're going to be hunting all day and just coming back to it. It's not a big deal. But, you know, Roger, his background, you know, in the, in the military as well, Roger's really good with tying knots. And so he had a tarp. So we, we tie this thing up um, in a, at an angle so we can get our sleeping bags. I think we had, I think he had two tarps, if I remember right. And he gets them tied up, and we get our yep. sleeping bags pulled underneath this. Now, we didn't really pay too much of attention to the forecast because we had been hunting – a couple of days before that up in Redstone area and the weather was great going down there. We thought we were really fine. So we get everything set up. We, we actually bump some elk and we say, Hey, let's back up and set up our spike camp. We don't want to push these elk and we get everything put together and we get his little burner out. We're heating up our, our mountain house meals for the evening. So we go to bed, you know, it's, I don't know what time it was probably getting dark, 10, 10 o'clock at night, something like that, maybe nine thirty. 
around midnight, I can remember hearing, you know, pat, pat, pat on the top of the tarps. And I'm thinking, oh, we're going to get a little, little sprinkle here. Well, and again, I want to hear this from your, your memory too, because again, you'll find out why my memory might be a little cloudy on this in just a minute. But it must have been around 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, you know, that it's starting to slowly get light. And to this area we were camped, and there's boulders everywhere, huge boulders. I mean, just, you know, the size of Volkswagens. And there's logs, I mean, that are strewn like toothpicks all over the place. And we, I wasn't thinking anything about that at the time, except thinking, you know, at some point there must have been some big melt in the springtime, and it kind of forced all this stuff down here. Well, you could hear the thunder and lightning going at night, and it was raining it was raining pretty hard, but, you know, eventually it kind of drowns out your thoughts and you go to sleep. It was kind of, you know, calming. But we wake up and we're just like, guys, and we look around and there's water on both sides of us as far as you can see. And I mean, as far as you can see. And those little streams that were, you know, 6, 10, 15 feet, whatever those things were wide, they're now just rushing rivers. And there's, there's literally logs um, that are probably four feet in diameter. Uh, through the middle, floating down this thing. And I'm like, okay, didn't sign up for this. This is, this is, uh, this is going to get interesting here. So we get up and I think there was, there was like, I don't know if you, we'll just use North and South and, and as a direction here and Brian and, and uh, Roger go, Hey, we're going to go South on this little bit of land. It wasn't very wide. I mean, it might have been 15, 20 feet wide and it's all boulders. He said, we'll go down South and see if we can find a way out around this water. And I said, Hey, I'll, I'll grab my stuff and I'll go North on this thing. So I grabbed my backpack, you know, I pull this thing out from underneath the tarp because I had an extra a shirt in there. I thought, well, I might need, it's, it's cold that morning. It was really cold that morning. And so I'm hopping from boulder to boulder, going up away from them, the opposite direction. And I'm going, this is ridiculous. This is too heavy. So I leave my, my backpack, but I leave it unzipped. And it had stopped raining at this point. I'm thinking, okay, I'm good. And I go, I don't know how much further, maybe another 50 yards north on this thing. And I mean, a gully washer rain comes in hard. And I am now soaked you know, to the skin. By the time I got back to my backpack, everything I had was soaking wet. So now that pack, which you know, might have weighed 40, 45 pounds, probably weighs 60 or 70 pounds now. It's, it's everything is soaked. And by the time I get back down to them, they're going, Brian, we, we don't see a way out of here. And so let me just kind of stop here. And Roger, take over what you saw begin to happen. Well, there were, there were a few things. Um, I mean, I had been in those kinds of situations in the past. So frankly, I wasn't, I wasn't overly concerned about the weather or even the conditions we were in. Like you mentioned it, it was, uh, you know, once the, once the sun came up, things were starting to clear up and clouds were breaking up and the sun was, you know, starting to poke through. And then this thunderstorm came through. And as we were watching the water, it, it was actually starting to subside a bit. However, uh, like you mentioned, you were soaked to the bone, and and frankly, uh, my uh, my concern immediately was hypothermia for you and getting you dry. There was nothing, there was no no uh, timber around us that was dry that we could start a fire with. So um, we needed to uh, we needed to get you dry, 
But frankly, I think by, by that point, you know, you'd started shivering and, uh, I couldn't remember. Ryan how to tie my shoes. That, yeah. Right. Uh, it's, it is crazy. Uh, now I've been hypothermic, uh, out here in Colorado the first year. It's, but let me tell you a quick little story. My oldest son and I, um, he was a, uh, he ended up joining the army. He was a forward observer, uh, for a number of years. And, uh, so he was still in high school. We decided to go for a hike up in Rocky Mountain National Park, up to a lake. And this was, uh, I think it was Christmas Eve, actually, uh, probably 2000, 2000, actually. And, uh, you know, I'd go to REI or places like that and, and look at these T-shirts, you know, the whole wicking T-shirt thing. It's like 30 bucks for a T-shirt. Man, I, I don't know. Uh you know, I'm just going to stick with my uh, cotton T-shirt. And so off we went. Um, you know, I got all sweaty and everything and took my jacket off to cool off and to dry off a little bit. And it was, uh, it was 20 degrees or so. And then as we were hiking back down to the parking lot, I mean, you know, you're not, I'm going downhill. Uh, I'm not exerting myself, so I'm not really creating a whole lot of extra body heat. And that hypothermia started setting in, and I started to stumble a lot. My words began to slur, and uh, my son was like, yeah, we need to, let's get, let's get on down to the truck. And we finally got there, down there and got warmed up. And now you won't, you pretty much, well, at least, when I'm hunting, you will not find any cotton in any piece of gear I've got. Yeah, you that said to me one time, you told me don't bring it, you said cotton kills. Exactly, yeah, um, and and it does. So anyway, so here you are, you're starting to shiver, um, your words are getting a little slurred, and, um, you know, you, you were your balance wasn't real good, and... I'm looking at the looking at the water. I was looking at you. I was looking at Brian. You're shivering. You're uh, you're not real coherent at, at this point. We realize we got to get you dry. We got to get you warmed back up. And and I made a comment. I do you remember wanna this. Follow up on you want to follow up? Yeah. On the comment I don't. Rem- I just remember your response. I, I I couldn't remember how to tie my shoes. I can remember looking at that. But then at that point, a lot of it starts getting foggy, except for one thing. I remember you looking at Brian and looking at me and you said, Brent, we've been talking and we've, you know, we're, we're really concerned about you getting hypothermia right now. So here's, here's the deal. If we can't get your body core temperature back up to where it needs to be like above 95 or whatever, he said, we're going to have to get all those wet clothes off of you and put you in a sleeping bag between the two of us. <laughs> I can remember going, that ain't going to happen. And then I said something like, you know, I think at that point I could walk on the water. I wasn't going to get out of There's no way I was going to have that happen. So it kind of became that funny little saying, you know, I think I could walk on the water after that. But I just remember, if you can't get your body core temperature up, we're going to have to get all those clothes off and put you in a sleeping bag between the two of us. And I'm like, yeah, that ain't happening. So, yeah, boy, you know, uh, my, my, uh, my mind goes into a lot of different different directions of, well, who was going to be facing your back and who was going to be facing your front. 
but uh, the uh, one thing for sure is when you when you said that, I knew for sure that you were going to be okay. Uh, although you were not super coherent, you were coherent enough to make that kind of response. So uh, we did, uh, you know, we we took out a, uh, a poncho. I made made some uh, I don't know coffee or tea or something. Maybe it was even tea out of pine needles, but just enough to get some warm water into your body. I mean, you were shivering still. Yeah, you did. And it took a good fifteen minutes. Yeah, I I remember seeing it, taking my wet clothes off and laying it on the rock because the sun was starting to come out, and we were trying. I remember that. Yeah, and you you started to snap out of it at that point, and and I knew that once we, you know, once you got back to a place where you were safe, uh, you know, temperature wise, the sun was coming up. Uh, it was going, and typically in that part of Colorado, the so, southern part of Colorado in the central area there, uh, specifically around Pagosa. September, which is when we were there, middle of September, that is the rainy season. And every afternoon, here come the rainstorms. But the mornings typically are, you know, bluebird sky kind of thing. So I knew that once we could get out of that area and get moving, that you were absolutely going to be fine. Um, Well, and and uh, I remember us building bridges. I remember thinking, you know, we need to get across the water without getting any, you know, wetter than we already were. And we started, like, taking little you know, pine trees that had fallen down and, and that didn't have any branches left and, and, you know, putting them across some of these little water areas, you know, to keep us from getting any wetter. I remember that. And you know what? I, I, I was just thinking about this because, you know, this whole thing with dangerous men don't walk alone. You know, I, I do a lot of solo hunting, you know, and when I'm doing like whitetail hunting and things, but you really need to be letting someone know where you are. If you're a hunter, you got to let someone know where you're going to be. You have to communicate. You need communications, whether it be a radio, cell phone, whatever, but we weren't yep. alone, and I was with guys that knew the area. They 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 knew their way around, um, and we got across the water, and we started picking up the pace. Now we have to get all the way back up to you know eighty five hundred feet, about where we were where the truck was. You know, it's a few miles away, and we get to almost the very bottom of the switchback. We had just started going up the hill, and we can hear this roar. I mean, just, and we get there, and it's a the water is just coming down like a, like a, just a raging river coming down. And it was too, you can't, you couldn't get in this to get across it. It was too, way too swift. But as we look up, there's, I don't know if it was, was it a ponderosa pine or something like that? But it had fallen across the water perfectly about maybe six feet above the water. And we were able to get across that and get out of there. So it was like, I always talk about, you know, God has a way, you know, he can make a way, you know, pay attention um, you know, be with the men that can lead you where you need to be. But as we're going up this thing, you know, I'm, I'm exhausted. You know, I'd, you know, like I said, you know, the beginning of hypothermia and I had trained hard and we get maybe a mile from the top and I begin to talk with Roger. And now something I'm going to have him share with you here for a second is, you know, Roger has a military background and I'm going to have him explain something that happened but as I was talking to him about his experience in the military, uh, especially something that he'll, he'll explain to you, a special school he went to, I began to see him. He had been tired. I mean, he was, I felt like I was waiting on him some. 
And, you know, mud's caked all over the bottom of our boots, making them extra heavy, and everything we've got is wet. But all of a sudden, as he's telling me something that he's passionate about that means something to him, I started to not be able to keep up with him. And the next thing I know, he's gone. I mean, ahead of me, just gone. I had nothing left in my tank to be able to keep up with him. But there was something, remember how we talk about in the, the podcast before about how our thoughts create our emotions, our emotions create our actions. Something in his thinking or his beliefs that create our thoughts kicked in and he was able to, to, to go deep and, and, and get energy from whatever this was that I had never tapped into before. And I was amazed. So Roger, if you would, just you know, for a few minutes here, if you would honor us and thank you for your service, uh, by the way, but tell us what happened. Yeah, the uh, before we before I get into to that story, you know, you and I have talked about ministry. We've talked about men, ministry to men. We've talked about the body of Christ literally uh, for years, and uh, you had uh, you know shared with me this what I call man tea, right? Our thoughts lead lead to our emotions, which lead to our actions. And, you know, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not much of an emotional guy. Um, and, and perhaps think, you know, defining what emotional guy really means is, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty logical, you know, um, you know, if you're getting rained on, put on a raincoat, you know, don't get, don't get flustered, just put on a raincoat and, there you go. Problem solved. But um, as uh, as I, I would listen to you through the years, I'm like, okay, I, I get the thoughts. I get the action. This emotion component in the middle never really, I don't know. It's like, well, I know Brent. I trust Brent. So I trust that that emotion component is there. And, uh, but I, you know, I didn't put a whole lot of weight to it. So, fast forward, or actually go back in time to when I went through uh, Air Force Survival School. I was a flight engineer on C-130s when I was on active duty and flew special ops there. But all flight crew in the Air Force have to go through survival school or SEER school which is what it's, it's called now. So survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. Uh, learn how to eat bugs, you know, build a, build a shelter with a parachute and learn how to uh, keep your mouth shut while you're being interrogated kind of thing. And so I went through that in uh, just outside of Spokane, Washington. And, you know, I grew up in a family where my, my dad uh, flew during World War II and would set up the flag, you know, for special occasions. And uh, as a, as a young, young one growing up in Arlington, Virginia, dad told me about all the, all the various components of the flag, what the, what the blue field meant, what the stars meant, what the red means, what the white means. We would also go down to Arlington Cemetery and watch the changing of the guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier. And man, if you have never done that, man, that needs to be on 
every man's bucket list, in my opinion. It is it is a solemn thing to watch. And here, I'm the guy that doesn't talk about emotions, and, and I'm getting choked up even just talking about that. Yeah. But um, so I was telling you a story about, you know, we had been out in the field for for six and a half days. We're exhausted. We come back. We go through a day of academic training, going into our into the resistance training, the the POW camp. The format when I went through was a little different than they do now. But that night, that Monday night, we got captured in air quotes and then stuck into solitary confinement and then. Uh, get interrogated uh, a few times and put in some very small boxes. And then we, we end up in group confinement. And there was a, a gal that I was kind of paired off with when we were in group confinement. And our, our job there as POWs was to dig what's called a gun pit, which is essentially you dig a hole the bad guys, your captors shoot you, you fall into your own grave that you dug. And uh, and that's what her and I were doing. And then they decided to come get her and to really torture her in front of all the guys. So they hauled her off, they stuck her in a cage, and it was uh, 40 degrees, wind was howling, and they hosed her down. and. Uh, you know, ridiculing her, and really they were playing off of American men. We protect women, whether they're, you know, our our daughters, our, our wife. Men just protect women. And so this, uh, this guy ends up, uh, you know, they get done with her, bring her back, and uh, and this guy is just standing there just, belittling her and I found myself you know picking up the shovel and you know walking towards this guy like I had a baseball bat and I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a fighter like that I don't know where that came from but um, so we move on little little more time goes by uh, I don't know how many days we were in this POW camp but we were exhausted and they pulled everybody together and they've got a space in this stage. At the time, these guys were East Germany is who had captured us. This is, you know, um, back in the early eighties. And they're telling us that you guys have given us everything, everything we've, we've asked for. We've asked for this. You've, you've given it to us. We've, we've tried to, put you in these situations and you guys have just caved and given us everything we've wanted to, to hear. And, you know, of course, as a military member, you're thinking, was it something I said? Was it something that three of us said, they pieced it all together? Where did I fail? Uh, you know, uh, and then they, they go on and go on. And, and uh, I mean, you're exhausted. They're, belittling you and they're like you know what we have uh you've given us everything we need everything we've wanted matter of fact i mean you've given us so much that 
we're going to have to go home tonight and we get to go home tonight. You guys don't. Uh, and they're saying this in an East German accent with wearing the uniforms and the whole thing. And these guys, they deserve Academy Awards. These guys that, that put you through this training is just, it's incredible. And we're like, we're all like, just oh, shoot me now. Just get this over with. Because we're thinking we're going to enter another day of this. And then one thing they do in survival school in the in the resistance training portion is they call something uh, an academic situation where you are you are a POW until an instructor calls academic situation and that's where you turn into a instructor student relationship and they begin to tell you you did this well you did this poorly try this next time yeah there's going to be a next time. And, and so, uh, at the very end, they call academic situation, a tench hut, about face, present arms, which is, that's the, present arms is, is the call to salute. It's like dusk, wind is blowing, and there is nothing but spotlights on American flag. I can hear it in your voice right now. So this is this is the story that I was telling you as we were coming out of this this deep canyon. I was exhausted. I was tired. Uh, just you know, three steps up, you slip. Two to four steps back, it was sticky. The mud was yuck, and uh, you know a lot of manure from the from the horses that had been going down this trail and. Um, and as, as I began to tell you this story, there was something in me that just ignited, set something on fire, I guess you could say. And the passion in me, the patriotism, you know, don't desecrate our flag. Don't do it. Too many of my friends have paid the price. I've buried, I can't tell you the number, literally, friends of mine that I've served with. Don't disrespect our flag. So for me, thoughts, emotions, action, the thought was, I'm a patriot. I love, I love this country. The emotion started to well up. The action came out in in really hitting the afterburners and in in and heading up the heading up this trail. I beat all you guys going up the trail, yeah. which I had never done ever <laughs> ever. That is not me. I'm the slow guy. Uh, but yeah, so does. Does emotions play into our actions? You know, that day and ever since, it's become real. I get it. I absolutely get it. You know, there's so many men that they feel the same way. Um, you know, in, in my book, we talked about men don't like to talk about the F word, feelings. 
<laughs> and so, you know, you can interchange emotions, feelings, but a lot of guys are like, I don't have those. I'm like, yeah, you do. And how do I know that? Because God gave us those. He gave us emotions for a reason. And uh, some of us have buried them because it's hard to feel. And so we compartmentalize. We really don't want to feel something. So we just try to fix it real quick rather than going into what the problem is. And let me, let me just say this, guys. If you're one of those guys that wants to fix stuff, you have to face what got you into that position to begin with. If you really want to get out of that, that gully like we were trying to get out of that storm that day and up the mountainside, you've got to face it head on. And here's the thing. You can't do it alone. You have to have someone to walk with you. These two guys that I was with, they're dangerous men in more ways than one. And I made it out of there that day because I wasn't going it alone. I did have someone with me who knew the way back out, who trusted that that voice inside, that roar within like we've talked about. And that kicked in when, when Roger began to talk about his patriotism. And I can tell you this, both of us feel that way about this country and about the one who made it. There is no bigger passion, and he'll tell you this. When, when we get in our conversations, when we're in the woods, we talk about God. We talk about men's ministry. That's what we talk about because we want to see, guys, we want to see you change. We want to see you on fire. We want to see you have that gear within you guys that can kick in when you know who you are, when you know what your purpose is, and you go, you know what, I'm listening to any of these other voices trying to tell me whatever they're trying to do to bring me down because you do have what it takes. In that moment, when you are called upon to come through, dig deep, look to the one who made you because you do have what it takes. In the same way God put that log down across that stream and said, I'm going to make a way for you. He already has this planned out what's going on with you right now. But we talked about this last week. Sometimes he'll allow us to go through things because we need to be able to know something and we need to be able to see it. You know, in the next episode, when, when we get back together, Raj and I, we're going to be talking about, you know, sight, you know, and it's going to be an interesting podcast. But I hope what you're able to take away from this, when Roger was talking about, you know, going through Sears School and they were sticking together and working together, the thing that I remember hearing him at the very end of him telling me that story that day is when that spotlight hit the flag and the patriotism inside of him he knew he had completed and finished well, no matter how hard it was. And I don't know about you guys, but I want to be able to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. See, God will remain faithful even when we are faithless. So don't worry about the mistakes you've made. Get on your knees and then get on your feet. Get back in the game. So, Roger, anything you wanted to end with that before we kind of wrap it up here? Well, maybe just a challenge, uh, a couple challenges, actually. Um, first off, I, I firmly believe that, and, and maybe it's so, you know, this is a conversation for another time, but I absolutely believe that God gave Christians America like he gave the Israelites the promised land. When you look at the similarities of, of God's people crying out for a place uh, to be rescued from and a place to be sent to where they could worship and serve God unrestrained, the similarities between the Israelites and the Puritans over in England the parallels are just, I mean, they're amazingly uh, similar. 
And so, so here's the challenge. You know, here's per, perhaps the the Christian patriot in me that says, God gave us this place. Have we done a good job of stewarding what God gave us? Yeah. That's man. That that is something I'm very, very, very passionate about. But the other thing too is. Uh, you know, as you and I were talking just the other day, you know, a righteous man falls, but he gets up. There have been many times, you know, when we've all fallen, right? We've stumbled. We've we've let God down, we think. Uh, yet God saved us, so even though he knows the future, right? Yeah. He first loved us. And so, man. Embrace the suck. God's teaching us something. He's the author of our faith. He's faith. He's the finisher of our faith. Get up. Just get up. Get up. And run back to him. And all will be good. Our, our failures don't define us. They shape us, but they don't define us. Yeah. It's our identity in Christ that absolutely defines who we are. I totally agree. Well, guys, thanks for tuning in today. And remember something, um, make sure you go on the podcast, you know, on the, uh, you know, on Spotify, so many different platforms, make sure to follow us, like, um, you know, give us a rating. If you would subscribe to what we're doing, we know you're going to keep growing and we want to encourage you today and remind you, you know, we are, you are, we are the resistance. So stay unleashed guys. We'll see you next time.